This is the Spaceport America podcast with me, Alice Carruth, Public Relations Coordinator for the New Mexico Spaceport Authority. And in this episode, I'm joined by Loretta Whiteside, scientist, author, entrepreneur, and future astronaut. And I should also add, co-founder of Yuri's Night, which is why we've got her on today. Welcome, Loretta. Thank you, Alice. It's great to be back. So tell me, what is Yuri's Night and how did it get started? Yuri's Night is a global space party. It's like St. Patrick's Day, where we encourage people all around the world to celebrate the power of space to bring the world together. So, you know, you don't have, you can sign up on our website and let us know you're doing an event if you want to let other people know to, you know, come to your Los Cruces party or, or wherever you're at, or you can just you know, do whatever you feel like. We also, in these COVID times, have a global live stream that we're doing instead of at a party, a flagship party in LA under the space shuttle like we historically have done. Um, in COVID times, we're doing a global live stream where you can, anyone around the world can tune in on Saturday, April 10th and listen to astronauts and uh, musicians and artists uh, share about space and, and, and have fun and show that why it's important for all of us to be doing this. So we have to sort of let everyone know that Yuri's Night is named after Yuri Gagarin, who was the first human to make it to space. Um, it's also the same day on April the 12th that there was a space shuttle launch as well. Why is it you feel like we need to celebrate that particular date? Well, when I, I didn't figure that out, that coincidence, that, you know, the space shuttle launched 20 years later to the day after the first human to go into space, Yuri Gagarin, like you said, and it just seemed like such a cosmic coincidence. You know, we were in the height of the Cold War at the time, so it wasn't like the U.S. was like, oh, we should pay homage to this extraordinary achievement of the Soviets. No, no, there was, it was a coincidence. They were supposed to launch the shuttle on April 10th, and there was a two-day launch delay from a, some error an intern found in the code, and they ended up launching on the 12th. And to me, it's a cosmic coincidence because, um, you know, growing, as a kid in the 80s on the brink of, uh, you know, global thermal nuclear war, um, it was always really scary. And, and um, to me, it's a big deal that instead of um, being in a race with the Russians now, in the 90s, we bent the swords into plowshares and we started working as partners with the Russians on the International Space Station. And I think it's just an important message to be sharing with the world that um, space is bigger than any one country and we need to really learn. You can, we can use this challenge of space to start learning how to work together as a planet. So you started off this idea as part of the space generation. Can you tell me a little bit about where that came from and why you felt the need to really spread the message about a global space party? Yeah, so we, the space generation all met at the United Nations Unispace 3 conference in 1999 in Europe in Vienna, Austria. And um, Peter Diamandis had started it all. Uh, he's the founder of the XPRIZE and Zero Gravity Corporation and Singularity University. And he and some of his co college friends in 1981 had crashed the previous UN space conference and um, sort of kicked off this idea of a space generation. And um, the UN really liked it and invited uh, students to come back and be a part of uh, follow-on conferences because they thought just having that energy and that vitality and that passion was really adding a lot of value to their deliberations about space. And so I was one of the fortunate beneficiaries who uh, who was a student at the time and got to be invited 
to the third UN Space Conference in 1999. And we um, took that opportunity to create the Space Generation Advisory Council, which is a formal group of young people around the world that's still thriving today. We're so grateful for them, um, 18 to 35, and, you know, in learning, meeting each other, connecting earlier in their careers and, and really helping train each other and, and influence world leadership about um, how we should be moving forward in space. And, and they were really great, too, to volunteer to, to host events around the world. And we, we, when the idea for Yuri's Night started to get traction, they were like, yeah, we don't need to just do it in Moscow and Houston. You know, we could do it in South Africa and in Japan and um, in the UK, and so um, it was really their passion, energy, and vision that helped this really become a global phenomenon. And in Las Cruces, New Mexico as well, I don't know if you know, but we actually set up the, the Las Cruces Space Festival around Yuri's Night, so you've had that much of an influence even on our local area as well. What is it that really attracted yeah, you to that? To, to the idea of human spaceflight? Because you are a scientist of, of study. What is it that really kind of brought you in towards human spaceflight when you were a younger person? Well, I was drawn to space since, uh, for as long as I can remember. I mean, in kindergarten, I knew that I wanted to go to space. And if, you know, I could have studied space in college, I would have. Um, that wasn't an option at the time. So I, I studied astrobiology instead because I figured that was um, a discipline that could help us learn to grow our own food and recycle our air and water when we're living off-world and look, better learn how to take care of our home um, biosphere as well. So um, that was how I got my start. And, and I just think it's such an important thing for us to be doing as a species to, to stay connected with the bigger picture and how there's more that unites us than divides us and that these bigger challenges, these pushing of the new frontier can help us grow and learn and, and mature as a species in the ways that we need to to make sure that we continue to thrive, uh, each and every one of us. Now, you are a future astronaut with Virgin Galactic. Can you let people know what that means and what it is you're looking forward to most of being part of that project? Absolutely. Yeah, so we bought, uh, my husband and I both bought tickets to fly with Virgin Galactic back in 2005. And what that means is that we get to go do a suborbital space mission, uh, take off from uh, Spaceport America, which is so beautiful. I love that location. And like a, on an airplane and then uh, circle up to 50,000 feet, um, they'll drop, the mothership will drop the rocket ship and we'll rocket up for a minute uh, up into space. And they'll, as soon as they kick, the rocket motor kicks off, we'll start to feel it's that sensation of floating, of weightlessness. And it's like your foot leaving the trampoline. As soon as uh, you're still traveling upward, but you're already uh, in floating. So the vehicle, the rocket ship will keep floating upward. We'll keep floating up. I'll keep going higher and higher. And then um, at a certain point, just like on the trampoline, you'll reach the top of your trajectory and you'll start coming back down um, as we will. And so we'll have a couple of minutes all together, a lot more than on the trampoline. You'll have a couple of minutes of free fall out in space, out of your uh, seatbelts, just at the window, looking back on our home world and and seeing white sands and um, you know seeing the mountain ridge ranges and um, all the beauty of the uh, enchanted state. Now you've experienced weightlessness quite a lot. I believe you've had over five hours already as the flight director of Zero G. 
What will be the difference between a zero-G fly and a Virgin Galactic fly? Oh, that's a great question. I love floating weightless. Um, I yeah, have about five hours over it's like 80 different flights I've done, and it's just so magical just being able to float. It feels um, like you're in the womb again, so comfortable and safe, and at the same time so otherworldly and um, exciting. Like your mind is racing, trying to figure out what's going on, and, and everyone's giggling around you, and it's like a, everyone becomes a kid again, um, trying to experiment and explore their world that they don't understand anymore. Um, and uh, the main difference is that it'll be longer. So the longest I've ever floated in the is been about 30 seconds. And when I get to go to space, I'll get to float for like three and a half to four minutes. And sometimes people say, three and a half to four minutes doesn't sound like very long. And I say, well, hold your breath, and you'll see how long three and a half, four minutes can really be. So a lot of the training I, I do and I encourage other future astronauts to do is to practice meditation uh, and just being completely, or anyone, anyone, actually anyone, I encourage anyone listening to do this, to sit in your living room, you know, for three and a half minutes and just be as completely present as you can and just take in every sound, every sensation, every sight, every pixel, every color, and um, be as completely present as you can for three and a half minutes and let yourself be just blown away by the fractal na- nature of time and just all the beauty and miracles that surround us and and you'll real, and I think that's the perfect, the best training you could possibly do for for your space mission. I think that's actually the most beautiful description I've heard of it. Now, is it my understanding that you and George, George Whiteside, who is the uh, chief uh, space officer for Virgin Galactic, that you bought tickets as part of your honeymoon with Virgin Galactic? <laughs> yes. So when we bought the tickets in 2005, we had just gotten engaged, and so we um, we bought it as our honeymoon flight. We knew it might be a little delayed from our wedding, which was scheduled for 2006. Um, but, you know, we thought maybe a year or two. Um, now, you know, it's been a quite a bit more than that. Our, you know, our, our kids are, are uh, in grade school, and so it's, it's uh, changed a little bit. We uh, won't exactly be doing a honeymoon, but we're still really excited to get to both experience uh, flying in space because we, we wouldn't want one to get to do it and not the other. So, um it's it's nice also to have a partner, if anyone understands, you know, has a partner who shares your interests. You know, if you love motor biking or, or sailing or something, it's always better when you're when your partner's as, as excited about it as you are. So we're really uh, blessed to have to have people understand our our love for space. Absolutely. I've been reading a little bit about Space Kind, which you have recently started. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is and and why you decided to start that? Yeah, Space Kind is a eight-hour training program that we've been leading for the last few years and for people in the aerospace industry who want to um, figure out just how to be their best selves, you know, how to live their best life and love what they're doing and use their love of space to let go of resentments and frustration, give up fear, build confidence, um, handle like lingering things that are hanging over their head that they've been meaning to do forever that they haven't gotten around to doing that drains our energy, our energy, um, thank people in their life who've really made a difference for them. All those things that are important in life that um, nobody really gives us a, a deadline to do or an assignment to do. And so I said, well, why don't we just create a class where I make assignments that you have to do that and deadlines, and then that'll help us all, you know, attend to the things in our lives that we know are important but not urgent. And so adding... 
we made, we created this structure where it creates cr- urgency to the things that are most important in life to help us be living it to the fullest and enjoying um, enjoying the journey as well as the destination. So in COVID times, we're able to take that training and, and put it online, um, which I'm really excited about because it's allowed me to open it up to not just people here in um, you know, locally nearby um, that I can work with in the classroom, but um, anyone who's got internet access. So it's been um, really great. We just graduated our third space time class um, and starting our fourth cohort on May the 4th because I'm, I'm really a big Star Wars fan. So I do things like start our classes always on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you, Loretta. <laughs> I think that's a perfect Thank date you. for your next class. Now, you're a mom of two, I believe. Um, Yes. What is it you're hoping for your children's generation to be accessible for space? Mm. One of the things I'm really committed to is that we make sure that as space becomes more accessible and more open to all, that we find new ways to get there that um, minimize our impact on our the environment. Um, because it wouldn't work for me to open up space for all if it meant, you know, we're adding, you know, really dangerous emissions to, for, for, with each flight. So um, as I'm really committed to op- democratizing space and opening up for more access and simultaneously doing the research and the investment in technologies that allow us to do it in a way that's sustainable and a way that's responsible. So um, not only do I hope that they get a chance to go and that everyone who wants to has that opportunity to look on our home world and fall in love with it from orbit, um, but that we find a way to do it um, in a way that doesn't hurt our Earth as we, as we, you know, take off. I don't want to dwell too much on being a woman, but it is kind of rare to find women that are such influencers in human spaceflight like yourself, Loretta. How do you think it is that you've managed to kind of break it into this very male-dominated field? Well, I'm really grateful for a lot of the mentorship that I've had. That's helped me a lot. Dr. Chris McKay at NASA Ames is a huge champion for women in science, and he really... Uh, invested a lot in in me, um, uh, as well as other mentors I've had along the way, who've, um, who really are so selfless to to shape and guide our careers and and give us the support we need. And that's why I'm always trying to mentor others and encourage people to, even when you're really young, to take on um, supporting and helping those around you. The, you know, the more. You know, I always say, you know, the best way to learn something is to teach it. So, <laughs> be helping others, you're, you know, you'd be helping yourself as well, and, and sort of that rising tide will lift all boats. Um, and learning to be that stand for women is really important. I've been um, asking different engineering leads how it is that they manage to get more women on their technical teams, and and it's really the answer has been, you know, just making that extra effort to. Um, beat the bushes and try to find good candidates and recruit and encourage people to apply even when they don't think they maybe are qualified to, um, which is usually just imposter syndrome talking, not re- not the truth. And um, and that extra effort seems to go a long way in getting more women into the field. And now the next um, frontier for me is the boardroom. I'm really committed to getting more women serving on space boards and um, I love, there's some recent evidence, uh, some recent research that says that uh, not just one woman on a board who, you know, might make a suggestion or, or give pushback on an idea and then have the rest of the room say, 
you know, vote against it or disregard that input, but having two or three women on a board so you can get a second voice saying, actually, I agree with her. You know, I think what she's raising is really important and we need to look at that. And that that's really the tipping point where you start to see, um, a policy shifting within companies and, um, that those perspectives really starting to have an impact. So I'm really looking forward to and excited about, about that era of space flight where, um, women are having multiple seats in the boardroom. And I think that's gonna, that's gonna have a big impact. Do you feel a responsibility given that you've got quite a great influence in the aerospace industry and particularly human space flight to encourage more women into the industry? Yeah. And I mean, I'm a, I, I'm a very passionate that I feel like we have a, a decent number of women coming into the industry, like in the pipeline and in engineering and graduating rates. Um, I, I'm really passionate that one of the issues we have is that we lose women at a disproportionate rate. I'm really passionate about attrition rates and I never think any attrition rate is normal. I think attrition rate is a, a great indicator of, of the health and the morale of your company. And so, um, you know, the challenge as a woman, and, and I, you know, I went through this myself, is, you know, when you have children, um, you know, I left the workforce for a number of years when I had children, and it wasn't, it's sometimes, you know, the workforce is challenging, and there can be personalities you don't get along with or, or managers that are difficult or, or that make it hard. And, and so as a woman, it's, it's very convenient because at, when I go to have a kid, it's really uh, socially condoned to say, yeah, I'm going to take some time off for my kids. Um, and I think a lot of times that can be cover for, I'm not happy here. I'm not appreciated here. I'm not getting the opportunity to advance my career here. I'm going to gracefully bow out. And men don't have that same opportunity when they're having kids. And so they're more likely to stay even if they're not happy. And so I think if you really want women to stay in the workforce, even through their childbearing years, it's really important for us as an industry to really take on how do we, you know, make sure that they're being taken care of and that their needs, their needs are being met, you know, that we have ways for them to, you know, nurse or pump at the work and, and that we're giving them advancement opportunities and we're valuing their input and we're, and they're feeling like they're doing work, work that's worthwhile to stay for. Um, and I think once we start shifting the culture of our companies and people feel that, then you're going to see more women willing to stay. And that's the, that's the thing that I think a lot of people are missing right now. I completely agree with you. And I think having female leads that are going to be taking the aerospace industry into the future is, is pivotal in that. And having a female that's going to be the first person to walk on uh, the moon and the next mission and hopefully on Mars, I think that's a really great thing to be able to push us forward. What do you see the future of human spaceflight look like in the next 10 years here in the U.S.? Yeah, it's so interesting right now because... We've been so head down for so long trying to get there, trying to get there, trying to get there. And at some point, it's going to flip, and we'll be there. And, you know, the same way we were, we wanted SpaceX to fly for so long, for so long, so long, and, or we wanted them to land a reusable booster for so long, for so long, for so long, and then suddenly it happens. And then now they've done it 90 times. And it's like you don't even tune in for the launch anymore. So there's going to be this strange moment. We've been waiting for so long to fly from spaceport and at some point it's going to flip and they'll be like oh they're launching from spaceport again oh you know big deal it's it's almost like i almost don't want us to get there because i don't want anyone to ever say you know not not tune in for the launch or not care that we're we're taking people to space that day but um in the next 10 years that's that's what's predictable that, that it'll 
it'll become um, something that you see all the time and something that people may not even note, take note of as much anymore. And and I'm almost a little sad for that, but it'll it'll what it'll mean is that we've gotten our job done. You've been very much involved with Spaceport America since the beginning, due to the fact that you are a future astronaut and your husband works obviously with Virgin. What's your favorite thing out at Spaceport America? What do you think really excites you about being out here? Oh, my goodness. I've been coming to New Mexico for so long. It's great. I mean, I was there for the runway dedication and the building dedication, and I was out, you know, for the XPRIZE Cup flights even before that. Um, and I love it. I love the wide-open skies. I love I love the building. It's so gorgeous. I mean, I... I remember coming off the bus the very first time uh, I arrived at Spaceport America and just tears coming to my eyes because I was so moved at how beautiful the building is and that it just demanded that we launch people to space from here. And I, like, decided, I just dedicated, okay, we have to do this. We have to make this work because this is too important. Um, And I'm very excited to launch from there and... Um, look back down on our earth and I love that the building is so sustainable. I love that it's, it's consistent with our mission and our vision and our dream for what we're out to cause for humanity. I absolutely agree. I love the building too. I obviously go out there on a regular basis and every time it still catches my breath, it looks different every single time. That's exciting for me to see. And it's exciting for us to be able to tell that story to the people here in, in Las Cruces particularly, but in this whole southern New Mexico region. What do you want them to really know about Virgin and what they're looking to do long-term at Spaceport America? I think I want the people of New Mexico to, to really be given the appropriate um, appreciation and acknowledgement for their investment and for their vision for the future. Um, it was really an extraordinary thing that they've done, and I'm really grateful and the payoff is going to be when we have thousands of people from around the world who've come to New Mexico to have this life-changing experience who will then go back to their different corners of the globe and all their different languages and be able to share profoundly with their friends and family and their people what it was like to not only come to New Mexico, but then to launch from there into outer space and fall in love with our home world and really start to see a new way forward and create the trust and the relationships and the vision that we need to work together across the planet to solve all these things that are so intractable but yet could really be solved with the right people deciding that this is the most important thing for us to do. So a lot of people know that as what we call the overview effect with a lot of the people that have been out to space and have come back to Earth and had this completely mind-altering experience with it. Is that what you're really looking for with your future space flight from Spaceball America? Yes, absolutely. I'm super excited for the overview effect. It was a book I read you know, when I was in college at Stanford, I found it on the, you know, just roaming back in before the internet when you would just go to the library and you'd go to the space section to find information about space. And uh, I found Frank White's book, The Overview Effect, and I read it and I just fell in love and realized that this is what I'm here to do, is to help people 
see the earth from space. And whether you go yourself or not, or whether you do it in virtual reality or you do it in one of our overview effect meditations where you're just practicing being on earth, it's about that perspective. And you don't have to go to space to have it. Um, you can do it anywhere, anytime. But having these people um, who've had success in various areas of their lives from all walks of life, who speak all these different languages, having that common experience, that powerful, profound experience, I think will go a long way to getting us where we need to go as a species and as a, and as a planet and as the stewards of our, our spaceship Earth, as we like to call it. You have a very positive outlook, and I love that about you, and I love that about the, the Yuri's Night celebrations as well. And to bring it back to what we were talking about in the early part of our conversation, how do we get involved in, in space, in Yuri's Night? How can anybody sitting at home now think about getting involved with Yuri's Night celebration? Um, well, we always encourage people to do things where they are at their school or at their in a club or just uh, get their friends together. Um, in this time of COVID, we, we're encouraging people to have watch parties so you can have like a zoom party and everyone watches the youtube channel together and you could dress up in costumes um and then post-covid you know we're always encouraging people to you know call up your you know local club or and have a djs and or throw an event um or get kids excited and do something to share your love and your passion for space with those around you and get them involved and and you know whether they're space people or whether you're a space person or not you know you can still have that theme to your event and talk about the bigger issues of bringing together art and science and inspiring people with what they're capable of with fulfilling their mission you know what they came here to do and just all the things you know that it's, it's, it's exactly what you said about being positive and creating a positive vision for the future because if we can hold on to that and work towards that then we can get through anything I love it. Thank you so much, Loretta. I really appreciate you giving me your time today to talk about the human space flight. And, and we're looking forward to having you out of Spaceport America really soon. I can't wait to get back. It's been way too long. The Spaceport America podcast, proudly produced by Las Cruces Today.com and Bravo Mike Communications.